How's everybody doing today? Everybody good? Good. Okay, so we're at the end of a series called Abide, and we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus one time said, um, if you abide in me and I abide in you, then you will bear much fruit. And abide isn't a word we use a lot, but it really just means if you hang out with me or if you grow in our relationship, then this becomes you. And so when the fruit of the Spirit says, you know, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And when we look at those attributes of God, those are kind of who God is. That's his uh, resume, if you will. Then when the closer we get to him, the more of that shows up in us. And so the more, the, the more we're with God, the more loving we are, the more patient we are, that sort of thing. And and so we've talked about this isn't a lot about trying harder to be loving or you know, joyful. It's mostly about learning to be with Jesus. And so remember, the, the fruit of the Spirit is this. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we're going to talk about self-control today. Let's take a little quiz. It's time for a little interaction. Uh, the question is, how many conscious decisions do you think an average person makes a day? Uh, conscious decisions. Just go ahead and answer. 100? No? It's a good, good guess. Uh, way off, Gary. Uh, so off. Anybody else? <laughs> It's not that far off. 70. 70. Thank you for participating, two of you. Uh, anyway, uh, 70. That means in a lifetime, you're making a little over one point, I forget exactly the number, but uh, 1.8 million decisions in your life if you live 70 or longer, then it gets more, obviously. These are decisions like, what am I going to have for breakfast? What am I going to wear today? Some of y'all need to think about that a little bit more. Uh, uh, what time am I going to go to bed? What time am I going to get up? You know, what show am I going to watch? Am I, am I going to watch television? What am I going to do? We make these conscious decisions. And there's this great philosopher, and his name was Albert Camus, and he said, life is the sum of our choices. We make these decisions, and then our decisions make us. So... The idea of abiding in Jesus, do you all remember those little bracelets that you know, had the WWJD on it? And, and the idea is kind of that if you are abiding with Jesus, if Jesus is hanging out with you, then what would you decide to do? Because it might make a difference in your decision-making process. So it may not. Maybe you just always do what you would do even if Jesus was there. But that's sort of the notion around this idea of I'm going to be... Uh, control, have control of myself. It's really sort of in, uh, importance. And if we're not careful, we make really, really bad decisions. And I'm not going to take testimonies, but I think most of us have a testimony of a time we made a bad decision. I read about a dude in Seattle, and this is, <laughs> this is really kind of funny. He had a spider on his wall, and he didn't want to like smush it. Uh, so he decided, he made a decision, that he was going to, and I appreciate his innovation, he was going to make a redneck flamethrower. So he had some hairspray and a lighter that he was going <laughs> he was going to um, burn the spider up. What he ended up doing is burning his house up. And so uh, I think the statistic was, I think he caused $60,000 in damage to his house because the solution was worse than the problem. Just squish the thing. And a lot of times our solutions are worse than the problems. And so we're lonely, 
And rather than you know leaning into God and that sort of thing, we uh, men often turn to pornography. They'll uh, you know surf the net for that kind of thing. And it, it, the solution is worse than the problem. Uh, it could be things like. Um, you feel uh, insignificant and so you dive into workaholism or you try to make a lot of money and that's going to give you some self-worth or uh, you feel hurt so you hurt somebody back and the old saying hurt people hurt people really does apply most of the time and so we have to have this self-control developed in our life one of my favorite uh, proverbs is this one a person without self-control is like a city with a broken down wall if you think about it and the day this was written, cities all had walls because you were always at least under the threat of attack. And so they were to be a city. Typically, they were built on top of hills. That's kind of how it worked. And uh, the more uh, protection you could have, the better off you were. And so we see in biblical stories about cities with walls. You see it all the time because most cities had walls and you had gates. And, and if your city was unwalled, then you were vulnerable. And that's what he's talking about here. A person without self-control is vulnerable. We're vulnerable to lots of different problems in our lives. And, and basically the idea is we all need boundaries. I need a boundary. I need a wall around certain things. And, and so the, the, the word self-control, the, the Greek word is um, uh, ekartia. And it basically means to, masters one, to master oneself. So there are areas in my life I am a complete master of. Uh, I am the master of not eating cheese. I, 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 ha I have conquered that. I don't have any ambition for cheese or grits. Those are easy for me. Uh, I don't have any ambition to eat those things. Now, there are other things I'm less a master of. And I think you probably understand this. Uh, sometimes we get in a situation and it's so exciting for us that we don't know how to stop. Uh, Scott Peck wrote a book called The Road Less Traveled, and in it he tells a story about when he was nine years old. He, got, he gets this new bike, and he talks about having this bike, and, and near his home there was a hill, and he was going down the hill one day, and, and he was on the bike all the time, but he loved this hill, and he was riding down the hill, and, and he sort of decided going fast was so much fun, he just wasn't going to break. The problem is at the bottom of the hill, there's a curve. And if you've ever been on a bike going too fast, you know this feeling. And so he couldn't negotiate the curve. And so he got to the bottom, he slid off the road, he broke his bike, he broke himself. And oftentimes that's a great metaphor for us when we're going so fast and we don't want to apply the brakes. We all need boundaries. That's kind of the whole point. And with certain foods, for me, I told you I don't like particularly, I don't even like cheese, I don't like grits, it's easy for me to turn those down. But there are some things, I, I really have, I just, I know going in, I'm going to have to really watch myself, or I'm going to eat till I pop. I'm going to be like a tick. Uh, you know, like chili is that for me. I love chili, and Miriam makes this great chili. And, and so when we have chili, I just have to say to myself, you know, only one bowl, and the bowl is this big, but still, I, you know, you have to make sure you sort of uh, set some parameters around it. Bacon, who can eat one piece of bacon? I mean, it, here's what I've never quite understood about God, and there's a lot of things, but this one for sure. In the Old Testament, he prohibited the, the Jewish people from eating bacon. That just seems cruel and unusual to me. But anyway, uh, it's like the perfect food, bacon. And, and whenever we have bacon, it's like I really have to, we had it this morning. Uh, I only had uh, had a little, and uh, uh, but I did good. I didn't I didn't eat the whole plate. At least got some. And uh, uh, but but you, there are things 
going in, you know, man, I've, I've got, really got to set some boundaries for myself. And that's part of what self-control looks like. Chocolate chip cookies are another one. Man, I just like to just eat them till I, till I puke. But anyway, so part of self-control is being able to say no to stuff. Part of self-control is being able to say yes to stuff. Sometimes we need to do certain things. And procrastination is part of self-control too. It's, it is not doing what you know to do, what you know you should do. And it could be simple things, taking out the trash or cleaning the bathroom or whatever. I mean, it could be a lot of different things. But all these things sort of combined to this point where when we live a self-controlled life, it, it's just better for us. It's the way God wants us to live. And so I'm not talking about particularly routine all the time, although I think routine is very important. Um, routine for me helps me establish some things, but I also want to live a life where if something comes up, I can say yes to it. I, I'm an introvert, and so for, uh, for, for introverts, a lot of times our, um, our default is no. And, and I'll explain. If somebody were to say, hey, let's go to lunch, uh, as an introvert, the default is, eh, I don't think so, because I don't want to, you know, I don't really want to do that. What, what I've had to do, and what Miriam, Miriam is also a little bit of an introvert, what we've had to do is get to a place where we, our default becomes yes. And we'll go unless we can't, you know, and, instead of we'll, we'll not go unless we just can't get out of it. We'd rather be people who say yes to things. And so I'm not talking about um, having uh, some... Uh, never being whimsical, you know, never just kind of doing something uh, just kind of off the cuff. But there is a routine in our lives that when we establish it, like for me, it means reading my Bible in the morning. Uh, This week was great to read my Bible because it was raining and I can sit on the front porch with a cup of coffee and you have to get up early enough to do this, but you get your cup of coffee, you sit on the front porch, it's raining outside. It's like... It was it was a gift from God. I wish it had a stopped after morning. It just kind of kept going, but but it was it was wonderful. And so there's this there's a routine. Uh, reading my Bible in the morning that's part of it. Uh, um, doing certain things, uh, you, you know, uh, exercise and that kind of thing. We we have to have some routine. And so self control is that as well. Tom Landry used to coach America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, who, by the way, beat the Panthers last week from best I can remember. Anyway, uh, the Dallas Cowboys coach, Tom Landry, back in the day said this, and I think it's important. He said, the role of a coach is to make people do things they don't want to do to achieve goals they all want to achieve. I think that's what God does for us. He challenges us to do the things we need to do to become the people we all want to become. A guy named Paul, he wrote much of the New Testament, and he writes this in 1 Corinthians. Uh, He says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. And he's talking about, hey, spiritual disciplines. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He's talking about a life of self-control, and he's now. I, I may have been sending you mixed signals. Let's let's sort of clarify. When we abide in Jesus, this becomes much easier. It's much easier to be self-controlled. If Jesus is with me, then it's easier for me to control myself. It's just kind of how it works. But Paul here is talking about doing some things on your own, striving. 
for self-control. Jesus makes it much easier if he's part of our life and, and he's, you know, we're close to him. It becomes much easier. When I was in college, I had a friend named Paul Hanthorne. Paul was from Canada. He was a wrestler. He was rough. He was, uh, he was a bad boy. Uh, just he was swole. I mean, he he was bad, and and so Paul was a guy. He he could talk me into things like going to the gym and stuff, lifting weights, and you could see how that's worked out for me. Uh, yeah, uh, but Paul Paul could get me to do stuff that I wouldn't really normally do. I didn't like want to go to the gym, but Paul was like, "Hey, let's go to the gym." And Paul was cool, and he was uh, he, he was kind of threatening, and uh, so I would go. You know, and when you're with somebody, it makes it easier. And when you're with Jesus, it makes it easier. It's just kind of how it works. So how do you live a self-controlled life? Well, you find the keys in this verse that we just read. First, you have to focus on godly goals. Not all goals are the same. He says all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Uh, Back in competitions in Paul's day, they had Olympic sort of events, and if you won, you received this... Uh, this kind of crown made out of plants that obviously fades away. Um, you also, I think, on some occasions, you were, if you won an event, you got like you were tax free for a year or tax free for life. That would be kind of a good. That, that's a good prize. But those two, all things, those fade away. And so Paul is saying, look, let's set goals that really, really make sense. Have you ever really worked for something? I remember working for my driver's license, and my dad was a truck driver, and he taught me how to drive, and I remember you know, going to take my driver's test. I don't know if this is true for any of you, but I drove differently for my driver's test than I drive today. Anybody else? Just me. Oh, some of you too. Okay, good. I, I remember, you know, um, you know at a stop sign what you're supposed to do? Stop. It's crazy. I think mean, it's like not just roll. You're supposed to stop. It's so stupid. Uh, but when you're taking a driver's test, you know what you do? If you want to pass, you stop. That's your goal, right? Your goal is to learn. And so you study the book, and then you take the written test, and then you get your permit, and then you get to go drive a little bit. And somebody's teaching you, and somebody's telling you, and you uh, obey a certain way. And then when uh, the person in the car is checking to see if you know how to drive, you drive a certain way. There's a goal, and you do certain things to achieve the goal. It's kind of what we're talking about. What is your goal? Because not all goals are the same. But the goal will determine the actions Whatever your goal is, that, that's what you're going to work toward. So if your goal is to make a million dollars, then you're going to do things to try to make a million dollars. If your goal is to uh, lose weight, you have a certain goal, then you, you do certain things to achieve that goal. Which brings me to the second point. You have to have the right goal, and then you have to have the right strategy. I run with purpose, he says. We have to have a purpose. So... Willpower is great, but I really do think that part of what helps us is when we have a discipline, have, have a routine. Um, this is a picture of a golfer. I don't remember which one. You, who is this, Chris? You know who this is? Does anybody know? Let's go with John Smith. Okay, all right. So what I notice about golfers is 
they have a routine. You ever notice it? So they'll, they'll, they'll look at their putt, their line, and then they'll, they'll go pluck some grass out, like that's helping them. And then they'll, they'll test the wind, you know, to see. And then they'll look at it again, and the caddy will look at it. And uh, by now I'm asleep if I'm watching it, because it doesn't take long. It's like, and, you know, they want you to sleep during golf uh, matches on television because they're whispering. Uh, so they want that for you. But anyway, uh, if you watch it long enough and don't fall asleep, they go through the same routine, and like every putt's the same. They'll, he'll line up and he'll swing a few times, you know, and then he'll back out and he'll look at it and he'll swing a few times. They, they have this routine. It's kind of who they are in life. They, they do the same things over and over and over. And it helps them because they, they kind of have, it's like this little dance they do. They, they sort of, this is what I'm going to do, and my caddy's going to help me, and he's going to help me do this, and we're going to together, you know, look at this ball, 15 different angles, and we're going to look at the lay of the land and all that stuff. And, and so the strategy is, okay, how do I get closer to Jesus? If abiding in Jesus gives me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fellowship, uh, um, self-control, if... If all those things come from abiding in Jesus, that's really a good goal. Because, honestly, who doesn't want love and joy and peace in their life? I mean, who doesn't want that? And more patience and more kindness and more goodness and more gentleness and more faithfulness and more self-control. Who doesn't want those things? Those are nine really great things to have. And so, when I think, gosh, if I get close to Jesus, I can have that? Well, then it makes sense for me to figure out how do I get closer to Jesus? It just sort of makes sense. What routine do I need? Uh, Paul, in another place, writes this. He said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, to be disciplined, basically, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, perfect will. And so, what's important in this verse, a couple of things. There's a pattern in this world. There's a way things work. There's a way people behave. Um, our, when I was younger, our, uh, our society was much more Christian, and so people behaved more Christianly, if that's a word. It's becoming less Christian all the time, it seems. And there's a certain pattern to this world. And he's saying don't conform to a pattern that isn't a, a, around Christ. If it's not Christ-like, then you don't have to do it. In fact, you shouldn't do it. Just because everybody else is doing it. Just like Mama used to say, if everybody else was jumping off the roof, would you do that? Well, you don't have to. So part of what he says here is don't conform. But then the other part is use your mind. Think differently. You may have heard of Viktor Frankl. He was this great philosopher, and he suffered through the Holocaust in one of the concentration camps. I can't even imagine what that's like. I mean, if you've ever watched any movies or like Schindler's List or anything like that, the horrors of being in a concentration camp are nearly unimaginable. Uh, Miriam and I had a chance to go to one of the concentration camps in, in um, I believe it was in Poland, and... And I've told you this before, but when you walk on the campus there, when you walk on the property, there is a darkness that is almost palpable. I mean, you can feel it. It's sort of, it's sort of, it's weighty. Well, Viktor Frankl lived through the nightmare of a concentration camp. 
And he, he writes about this. He says, you know, they took everything. They took my family away. They took my, my clothes. They, they took my health. They took everything. But then he, he said he discovered something one day. He said they, they could take everything but my attitude and my mind. They could not take those things. And so uh, they were going to treat me the way they were treating me, but I controlled my response. He, he had a renewing of his mind, basically. He, he basically said, look, it doesn't matter what they do. It matters what I do. That's a strategy. He, go, he went into every day thinking, you know, today I'm going to control my response and my mind. Which brings me to the third point. Start with kids, basically. Start early. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. I want to read you um, this really interesting... Uh, it, it is a speech given by a guy. Here's, this is who he is. Here he is. Look at all those medals. He's quite uh, honored. Retired U.S. Navy four-star Admiral William McRaven. He gave this commencement speech, I believe it was to uh, at, uh, USC, Southern Cal, and he says, he says this about becoming a Navy SEAL. He said, basic SEAL training is six months of long, six months of long, torturous runs in soft sand, midnight swims in cold water off San Diego, obstacle courses, unending calisthenics, days without sleep, and always being cold, wet, and miserable. Anybody want to be a SEAL? Not me. It, it is six months of being constantly harassed by professionally trained warriors who seek to find the weak of mind and body to eliminate them from being a Navy SEAL. And this is really interesting. Every morning in basic SEAL training, my instructors would show up in my barracks room and the first thing they would inspect was your bed. If you did it right, the corners would be square, the covers pulled tight, the pillows centered just under the headboard, and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack, their, their bed. He says it was a simple task, mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our beds to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in, in light of the fact that we were trying to become real warriors through battle-hardened seals. But the wisdom of this simple act has proven to me over, many times over the years, he says. And this is his conclusion. If you make your bed every morning, you'll have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a sense of pride. It will encourage you to do another task and another and another by the end of the day, that one task completed will, t will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never do the big things right. Super interesting. We start with our children. At the Vest House, we've had a saying all of our, uh, for our kids uh, ever since they were little. Now, most of them have gone. We still have Elise with us. But we always talked about work before play. And so we've got to get our chores done. We do our chores before we have fun. That's just kind of how it worked. And so uh, there was an old Fram oil filter commercial that said, you can pay me now or you pay me later. And that no notion was, if you pay later, it's always going to be more expensive. So let's get the, the dirty work done first. And, and, and in life, one of the th first things you do is you have to figure out, I'm, I'm going to get the dirty work done first. Fourth, start small. It doesn't have to be huge things that you do at first. Let's say you decided tomorrow morning to get in shape. <laughs> uh, just 
just hypothetically. You decide, you know, I'm really going to get in shape today. And so you, uh, you run five miles, and then you go to the gym and work out for four hours. Leg press, uh, that thing where you push the bar up, what's that called, Dwayne? Bench press. I knew Dwayne, he's, he's, he's jacked. Uh, you do all these you know, things, you do it for four hours. What happens to you on day two? You can't move. I mean, if you overdo the first day, you can't move the second day. So you start small. You don't walk five miles. You walk <laughs> down the hall. You know, you, you walk up the street. And you come back. You don't overdo because overdoing doesn't make any sense. There's this really interesting story in the Old Testament about a guy named Naaman. I, I, I've always liked this story, and I don't exactly know why. Naaman was this military leader. He had a... a Big commission. I mean, he, he really was over lots of people, but he had a big problem as well. He was a leper in an era, in a day when leprosy was incurable. And so he hears about a guy, Elisha, who can cure him, which it wasn't true. It was God who was going to cure him. But Elijah is his prophet, and he hears about this prophet, and he thinks to himself, I'll go see Elijah, Elisha, by the way, and maybe Elisha can tell me how to be healed. And so he goes to Elisha's house. Elisha doesn't even come out. He just says, go dip in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. And this really ticks Naaman off. It's really kind of interesting. Look, but Naaman became angry. And, and you can read, read into the, between the lines here. He, he sulked. He stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. What he's saying is, I'm really important he didn't bother to come out and see me. You know, good grief. I'm a, I'm a general. Somebody ought to come out to see me. Uh, he said, I, I expected him to, to wave his hands over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers in Damascus and Abana and Farpar better than the ones here in Israel? Why should I wash in them and be healed? And then it says, so Naaman turned and went away in a rage. I mean... All Elisha said to do was, hey, go down to the river and dip seven times and you're going to be healed. It wasn't, Naaman wanted something big, something bombastic. What Elisha said to do was, hey, just go dip in the river, dude, and you're going to be healed. Now, fortunately for Naaman, he had some associates, some like um, assistant coaches that were with him that gave him good advice. Look what they say. But his officials, his officers, tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. I mean, we have to have people in our lives that will tell us the truth. Hey, if he had said something to do really big, like offer big sacrifices, cost a lot of money, you'd have done that. Why don't you do the simple thing? And Naaman repented. It's really kind of a cool story. And he goes and he's healed. He just did the simple things. And sometimes self-discipline will just start with the simple things. This is a cool text. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Don't think it's too little or it's too late. It's not too little and it's not too late. You're becoming what you do today. Start 
small. You don't have to start with some big thing. I think sometimes we think, okay, I've not been reading my Bible, so today I'm going to read 10 chapters. Don't do that. I mean, it's almost like you, you do too much. Um, my dad liked uh, strawberries, and I remember he, he had this strawberry tower one time thing that he had. And my dad's philosophy was, if a little bit of, um, a little bit of fertilizer is good, then a lot of fertilizer is better. And he killed him. He put too much on there. I'll just never forget that. He put too much. You start little. Just start small. You don't have to do everything today. Just start small. And start with one thing. It's like, you don't have to do everything. Do one thing. You don't have to do it all today. Just do one thing. So you focus on godly goals. You come up with a strategy. You start early. And you start small. And then finally you start now. I mean, don't keep putting it off. Procrastin- Some of us put, pro, put the pro in procrastination. Let, let's start now. Obey what I command you, he says, today. Start today. Uh, quick show of hands. How many of you have ever had like a brilliant idea while you're in the shower? You're in the shower, you have a brilliant idea? Great. All right, some of us. That's good. Uh, uh, second question. How many of you have ever had a brilliant idea? Maybe, maybe we should have started with that. Uh, how many of you ever had a shower? Um, but anyway, no. Uh, so uh, what happens is you get in the shower, you have this brilliant idea. <laughs> if you're like me, you better have pen and paper handy because you got to write it down, you know, or you might be driving or it might be anything. But you have this idea. It, it, it's not so much having the idea, it's following through with the idea. What is God telling you to do that you need to start now? Because here's what I know. This wasn't the best sermon ever, and it wasn't presented the best ever. Here's what, Every time I preach, though, I understand. God uses a flawed vessel delivering a message that may or may not be interesting, but He, he somehow, because He's God, is able to use words to speak to us. Um kind of behind the scenes of preaching sometimes you preach and you really prepare a long time and you preach it and you're thinking that's not very good Uh, we just have a feeling about it and so what's really funny though is sometimes you preach and you think it wasn't very good and people will say man it's just what i needed sometimes you think you knocked the ball out of the park and nobody says anything it doesn't make any sense but what's surprising to me is sometimes it'll be a throwaway line just sort of a filler you know, there's like meat, and then there's like um, there's a Brussels sprout in there every once in a while, and and it'll be a Brussels sprout moment, and somebody will come up to me and say, you know, that Brussels sprout. They don't say it that way, but they'll say that thing, that really was what I needed to hear. So I I hope and I pray going in today that there would be something that would maybe be a trigger, God would use to click a light on in your in your mind that says you know what you should do this or you should stop this so whatever that is here's the action step for the day this week's action step we're going to say no to some stuff and we're going to say yes to some stuff we're going to figure out what things do i need to say no to for some of you it would be 
It could be, I'm going to say no to the second donut, or I'm going to say no to looking at my phone every five seconds, or I'm going to say no to looking at my phone while I drive, or I'm going to say no to uh, being rude or being, you know, driving too fast or whatever. I'm going to say no to something because here's what I understand about God. He tells me the things he doesn't want me to do. I don't always listen, but he does tell us. And then I'm going to say yes to some stuff. Maybe God is saying, hey, now's the time for you to start reading your Bible. Or maybe, um, maybe it would be a good time for you to, uh, to uh, fast. I mean, those are really spiritual disciplines that we get ourselves into. Maybe you need to call somebody. Uh, I'm in a small group on Wednesdays, and we had talked about the other day. Uh, I have a good friend back in Kentucky. And it was like, I really need to call him. I haven't called him in a while, and I need to catch up with him. And he's one of my best friends, and I need to do that. It's just been too long. And I kind of procrastinated and put it off. And, and I, I, I mentioned it Wednesday, a couple weeks ago. I said, I, I'm going to make this week, I'm going to go and I'm going to make sure I talk to my friend Mike. And then the next day, I drove to Kentucky to a funeral uh, for someone close to me. And, and guess who was at the funeral? <laughs> My buddy Mike was there. Um, sometimes you have to speak it. Because here's what, here's what happened. When I said it in front of a group, I, I, th- I think to myself, you're really going to ask me about that next week. I'm going to have to do it now. I, 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 I sort of make, my, I make myself do it. You know, it's called accountability. I said it and I thought, you know, I'm going to have to do it. And then not only did God uh, honor that, but then I, I go to Kentucky and I didn't know Mike was coming to the funeral. And I got to chat with him for quite a while. And it was just what I needed and just what I wanted to do. And it was just what God wanted for us, for me and for Mike. So sometimes it's, I'm going to say no to some things that I, I know God doesn't want me doing. And I'm going to say yes to some things that I know God does want me doing. And that's going to put me in the place where I'm abiding with Jesus, which is exactly what this whole series was about. Let's pray. Father, you are uh, amazing. And it's wonderful the way that you guide us and speak to us. And even when maybe we, we're not listening, you're still speaking. And today is a different kind of day. Perhaps today you said something to us that we need to do or don't do. Stop doing. And so, Lord, would you please guide us in that and help us to hear your voice and help us to say no to some stuff and yes to some stuff. And may it be the right stuff. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.